All right, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Philippians chapter number 2. We'll start reading in verse number 12. Uh, In these verses, Paul reminds the church at Philippi of the importance of continued obedience and faithfulness even as they are surrounded by a very pagan culture. And this passage is just as relevant and applicable to us Christians here in Petersburg or Phoenix or Philadelphia or Peoria or wherever as it was for those in Philippi. So follow along with me as I read beginning in verse number 12 of Philippians 2. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud, Paul says, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your sacred word. We pray your spirit would take it, use it in the ways that only he can do to transform us into the glorious image of your son, Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That's what we're living for, for Jesus Christ. We pray it in His name. Amen. So anytime a verse in the Bible begins with a therefore, like Philippians 2.12 does, then what you're about to read next builds on what came before, what immediately preceded it, which in this case was a very, we talked about it last week, it was a very theologically dense description of the person and the work of Christ in His divinity his incarnation, his death, and his exaltation. And Paul used that dense theological description of Christ to point to him as the supreme model of humility and obedience. But now, Paul is going to descend from this high Christology to a very ground-level application of obedience in the life of a Christian. He does this because right theology, rightly applied to the life, results in right living. And right living results in a witness that points to the transforming power of the gospel. And that really is the point of this passage this morning. That God calls His people, that's you and me, And every other person that claims to know Jesus Christ, He calls us to live faithful lives that shine the light 
of the gospel in this dark world. And friends, if we have ever needed to recover the light of our witness, especially here in this nation, it is now. In fact, many have observed that the continued decline in our culture here in America over the past 60 plus years has stemmed in large part from the decline in the church over that same period. Our light seems to be going out, doesn't it? But this passage, it gives us three truths that will reignite our witness to the transforming power of the gospel in these dark days. So I want us to work through this, these verses together and note, first of all, that faithful obedience is empowered by sovereign grace. Faithful obedience is empowered by sovereign grace. Obedience is the defining mark of true Christianity. 1 John 2, 3 says this, By this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments. And so right away we see that the Philippian Christians, they actually have a track record of obedience, right? Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have what? Always obeyed. You've you've been living like this for a long time, church at Philippi. Now, Paul is not talking about some sort of perfect obedience. He's talking about consistent obedience. Because we know this. There are times when Christians sin. Is anybody in here sin this week? If you didn't shake your head yes, then you, you just sinned. There are times when Christians sin, but the general trajectory of our lives, of a tr- the life of a true believer, is consistent obedience. One theologian called it a long obedience in the same direction. So a very early question of application for us this morning here at Bethel Church is, do we have a track record of obedience in our lives? The Philippians had such a track record. And Paul commends them for it. And now he says, Because you've obeyed, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Now it's very important that we are careful here not to read into this language some kind of works-based salvation, right? As if we work for our salvation. That's not what Paul is saying at all. (laughs) We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. The word that Paul uses for work here in the original language means to labor to the finish. Get to the finish line. Keep going. The emphasis is on perseverance. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, I know it's hard in Philippi. The world is dark. The culture is wicked there. But keep pounding. Keep moving forward. Don't slack off. Friends, I want to say the same thing to Bethel Church. I know it's hard out there. It's hard at school. It's hard at home sometimes. 
It's hard at work. Being a Christian is never easy in an unbelieving world. But no matter what happens, don't give up. Don't buckle under the world's pressure. Don't compromise. Stay faithful. As you have always obeyed, so now much more, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That phrase, with fear and trembling. It means to be serious about how we live. It is to live with an acute awareness that every second of our lives is laid bare before the presence of God. Every second. R.C. Sproul says, To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. I think of all the implications of that reality for our lives every single day. Every click on the internet. Every text message. Every conversation, every thought, no matter how we think that, well, no one knows about this. Everything that we hide in our hearts, all of it lies under the piercing gaze of a holy God. Now, friends, that ought to produce a little fear and trembling in us, shouldn't it? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me add that the the your here, the your salvation, the your is plural. <laughs> right? If you, anybody English teach English in here, it's second person plural. Did I get that right? I don't know. Second person plural. Work out your your alls. If we, hey, if you're from South Carolina, work out y'all's salvation, right? With fear and trembling. And the word own is not in the original language. It's supplied by the translators for clarity. Now we need to know this. Why? Because sometimes, especially in the culture of the West, we tend to individualize our Christianity as if it's just me and Jesus. But friends, a me and Jesus Christianity is not New Testament Christianity at all. I'm glad I got somebody in here who, who likes good preaching. <laughs> the Christian life, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean... You can get it better somewhere else, right? but I'm thankful that y'all are here. The Christian life is something that we do together. You see? So to the Christian who thinks that that they can just separate themselves from the body of Christ and and do this, this sort of me and Jesus thing, that's not working out your salvation with fear and trembling, but with self-sufficiency and pride because, church, we need each other. By the way, it's the sheep 
separated from the fold that are at most risk of being devoured, isn't it? The wolves go after the ones who are straying off in the distance. Friends, don't separate yourself from the church. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, and, or both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And here we go again. We're bumping into this issue of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It doesn't matter where you go in the Bible, it's always there. Paul says, you work out your salvation, right? You got that in verse 12. Work out your, you work out your salvation for, that word for, that, 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 that indicates where the, where the it's, it's the grounding of what just took place in verse number 12. Work out your salvation because God is at work in you. That's what he's saying. You work out your salvation, but and because God is working in you. You see, our work in verse 12 is actually God's work in us that's coming out. You circle every time you see the word you, God, in, and out. You'll see what I'm talking about. Everything that comes out of us is coming from God inside of us as we work out our salvation. Every act of obedience, every pure motive, every godly thought comes from God's sovereign grace at work in us. Don't you dare think for one second that you did any of that on your own. Even the very desires that we have toward obedience and righteousness, they come from His grace. Paul says it right here. It is God who works in you both to will. That word will means to desire and to work for what? For your prosperity and health? For your comfort and ease? No. For His good pleasure. In other words, we exist and live by the power of God for the glory of God, for the pleasure of God. It's not the other way around. He's not a genie in the bottle just tossing out whatever wish we, we make. Acts 17, 28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. Everything that we are comes from Him. It is His grace that empowers and sustains our faithful obedience. Friends, if you think that you can sustain yourself, have a good go at it. You will not make it. You won't. We need, we rely on the grace of God alone. Secondly, we see in this passage that a faithful witness... So we have faithful obedience in verses 12 and 13. Now we have faithful witness. It is accomplished by godly character. Look at verse number 14. Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. <laughs> if you're ready to close your Bible, don't. The word grumbling here, it literally means this. Behind the scenes talk. It's a sort of low-level negativity that we carry with us throughout the day. 
It's verbal complaint arising from a dissatisfied heart. That's what grumbling is. I want you to listen to this verse, this two or three verses from the book of Numbers, chapter 14. This is beginning at verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. This is God talking. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. What was he talking about? He said, if you read earlier in the chapter, the the Israelites were complaining and grumbling. They said, would that we would have died in Egypt. And God says, be careful what you wish for. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. You remember that whole fear and trembling thing? Yeah. This is serious. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That word disputing means to debate. It means to argue for your own viewpoint. That's what a debate is, isn't it? To argue for your own viewpoint. Now, friends, we should be able to see where Paul is going here. (laughs) Because if you were here last week or if you have read ahead in Philippians you know that in chapter 4, he's eventually going to confront two women over their disagreement with one another. He's dropping these hints all along the way there. There's some grumbling, there's some disputing going on in the church at Philippi. And this stuff, this grumbling, this debating, arguing back and forth, disputing, that, that shouldn't be in the church. Right? Because it doesn't do anything but damage our witness in the community, right? A church where folks are grumbling and arguing with each other all the time just gives the world more reason to say we're just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You've heard that one before. I mean, of course we know better. We know that's just an excuse of theirs. It's not true. But don't we sometimes give them all the ammo they need to fire that shot off at us? In fact, we load the chamber for them. Verse 15. Paul goes on and he says, So that, so do all things without grumbling and disputing. Why? That you may, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So to be blameless and innocent is not talking about some kind of Christian perfectionism. It's not what he's getting at. 
It means to live with such godly character that no one can lay a charge against you. It means that when someone hears our name, they don't think, oh yeah, I heard about what he did. It means that when someone in the community hears the name Bethel Church, they don't think, oh yeah, that's the church where this and this happened. Remember, the primary context here of this passage is within the life of the church. Let me illustrate it with, sadly, a very true story. For 11 years, Josh Harris was the pastor of Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. He was very prominent, very popular evangelical pastor. You may recognize his name if you've ever seen that book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. He wrote that. In 2015, he resigned from Covenant Life, strangely enough, to go to seminary. And in 2019, he completely renounced his faith. These are his words. He said, By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Now, Covenant Life was not some 35-member church out in the middle of nowhere. By modern church growth standards, it was a, it was a mega church. I think at its heyday, they had well over 2,000 people. And they've since gone on with different pastors, but Covenant Life in Gaithersburg, Maryland, will always be known as the church that Josh Harris pastored. His actions brought severe disrepute on the witness of that church, not only in their immediate community, but the whole world, because of their size and because of his prominence. I took youth groups that I pastored as a, as a youth pastor. I took youth groups through his much of a lot of his curriculum. He's no longer even a Christian. Is that even possible? Friends, this is about our witness in a dark and dying world. Let's look at the rest of verse 15. This is really the crux of the entire passage. I want to read it from the New International Version. Paul says that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Is that, does that kind of sound like America right now? I mean, he's writing here in first century. <laughs> he could have been writing today. You may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That word lights, in, I think it says, the ESV says lights. I think the King James says lights. In, in Greek, the language in, of the New Testament is Foster, 
folks there. It's where we get our word star. It, it, it is used to describe light-giving bodies, luminaries in the heavens. Friends, are you a light-giving body this morning? Does your life shine like a bright star on a dark night? That's what Paul is getting at here. He says the church is a sky full of stars. And the darker it gets in this crooked and twisted, this warped generation, the brighter we're supposed to shine. But we've lost some of our shine, haven't we? Friends, has your life lost some of its shine? We've gone through a lot over the past couple of years. Maybe you're going through something personally that has dimmed your light. The darkness can be very scary, can't it? I mean, we're naturally afraid of it, aren't we? But dear brothers and sisters, the stars dwell in the empty darkness of space. Don't be afraid of the dark. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we must then shine the light of Jesus, which is where that light comes from, into the darkness of our world. But how do we do it? How do we shine like this? How do we shine like a sky full of stars? Look at verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. Some versions say holding forth the word of life. What is that word? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His sinless life, his sacrificial death, victorious resurrection for sinners. It is the only message that holds hope for this dark world. And we must both anchor to it and proclaim it. So there's, a, there's an evangelistic flavor to this verse, isn't there? So we can't just be content with, with sort of living this clean moral life. You've ever heard, I know you've heard it, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. You've heard that before? Pre, preach the gospel always, if necessary. That's bogus. The gospel is a verbal message. It requires Words. Don't pretend that we can just live a clean moral life and be quiet about it. We actually have to proclaim the gospel. We have to hold forth the word of life. Listen to, listen to Charles Spurgeon. Oh, he was a fiery Baptist pastor. He had some words. For those who thought they could just live the gospel without ever sharing it. He said this. I will not give a rusty nail for your religion if you can be quiet about it. I do not believe you have any. That which is nearest to the heart is most on the tongue. You must constantly be bearing your witness by the word of your mouth for Christ, seeking to teach the ignorant, to warn the careless, to reclaim the backsliding, and to bring the wanderers to the cross. 
I think it's time to start holding forth that word of life again. You see, Paul is so consumed with it here in Philippians 2. He's so consumed by the gospel that he has actually tied his eternal reward to the faithfulness of the Philippians. Look at the end of, what is that, verse 15 we're on? He says, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He, he, he says, The fruitful witness, the faithful witness of the Philippians is actually a part of the fruit of his ministry. In other words, he's going to give an answer an account to God for what they are doing with the message that He gave to them. And this faithful witness only comes when the church lives with godly character that shines brightly against the backdrop of the darkness of this world. That's it. Lastly, and, and, and briefly, faithful sacrifice. So we've got faithful obedience, faithful witness, and now faithful sacrifice is marked by shared joy. Verse number 17, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So his language, I mean, this is kind of unique language, right? They would have got it. We don't sacrifice animals anymore, so it's a little distant to us, but his language is referring to the real possibility that he may be martyred at the hands of the Roman Empire. In fact, he eventually is. He's beheaded by Rome, but not yet. But he knows it, it, it's coming. He knows it could happen any time. He says this. In other words, he said, even if I'm executed, I'm going to die having given my life for the sake of the gospel. And I rejoice in that. That's what he's saying. And then he says, likewise, I want you, church at Philippi, to rejoice in your own sacrifice. He's like, hey, I know it's hard, but we're in this thing together. Friends, the Christian life is one of continual sacrifice. And sometimes it's hard to find joy in that sacrifice, isn't it? I mean, none of us, I mean, we're not like sadist or masochist. We don't take joy in pain. It's not easy to sacrifice but Paul says, I want you to rejoice with me in my sacrifice, and I'll rejoice with you in yours. He's saying, spend your life on Jesus, no matter the cost, and do it with joy. You know how misery loves company? Well, so does joy. Have you ever been in a really good mood? I mean, you're just happy. Things are going well, and then... <laughs> Someone comes around and things are not going well for them. And their, their, their unhappiness, their misery just like warps over you. 
It should be the other way around. Our joy should warp over those in our presence. So that even if they're, they're, they're walking into sacrifice, let's sing in the midnight hour like they did in jail in the book of Acts. Right? Keep singing. Keep pounding. Keep praying. Share joy freely and receive it freely. That's how we shine. That's how we shine. That's how the world can look at us and wonder how in the world Christians could be so happy when things are so bad for them. That's how they can line up 21 Christians. Where was that at, Jamie? Those guys in those orange jumpsuits. It was in the Middle East. They were Coptic Christians. They lined them up, I think on the Mediterranean shore somewhere, and killed them several years ago. The world looks at that and says, what a waste. But Christians look at that, and what they, they say with Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Paul says, church at Philippi, church at Bethel, I could die for the faith. I'll rejoice in that. I want you to rejoice with me. Rejoice in your own sacrificial offering. Friends, I hope we're feeling the weight of all this as heavy as we should be. The church its a sky full of stars, but we've been a little too cloudy for our light to shine. And here in America, especially. It's time to clear up the clouds. It's time to clear up our lives and start shining. We got to shine at work, at home, at the grocery store. Young people, you need to shine at school. Wherever the darkness is, shine. If your light has been dim, I have good news for you. If you come to Jesus this morning for grace, He will He'll set you alight again. His fire will blaze in you. And you will once again shine with the light of His gospel. Or maybe you're here and you don't have any light at all. Your heart is still in darkness because you've never forsaken your sin and turned to Christ in repentance and faith. I want to invite you to do that today. And when I mean... When I say invite, this is not an RSVP kind of thing. This is like come to Jesus today. This is not, this is not, an, this is not an optional choice. Click A or B. Come to Jesus today and then you'll go shine His light into the darkness of this world. Church, if you want to come up here and pray up front or have someone pray with you, we'll do that. If you want to pray where you're at, you can do that too. Let's bow together and seek the Lord for a little bit this morning.